Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm Jade Walker, and on today's podcast, we're going to talk about the 2021 schedule for the Falcons, which was officially released on Wednesday, May 12th. Before we dive in, though, some introductions. First off, she's my co-host, and is she is forever mad online, the <laughs> one and only Gina Kelly. Gina, how you doing? David, I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you for asking. Uh, joining us is none other than the amazing, amazing Michael Rothstein, ESPN reporter for the Falcons, amongst other things. Michael, how you doing? I'm just thinking that you're that, that Frank Darby's energy is rubbing off on you already, David Walker, <laughs> because that is a very Jersey, you know, how you doing? Like, like, I, I can't. I'm from the Northeast and I can't even do it as well as you just did, which is um Highly embarrassing, and I don't know when this podcast is running, but uh, Frank Darby spoke with the media on Thursday. It's his uh, second time chatting with the media, and it is his second time bringing all of the energy. Like, if I had one, if I had one fifth of Frank Darby's energy, I would be a way more energetic person, (laughs) which would probably bother some people in my life. But I think other people would be like, "Yeah, like this is." this is really good that you have a little bit more energy about you. Like, congratulations. Uh, but no, he, he has all of the energy and there's a couple of media members from the Northeast, myself included. And if that came up at all during the call, he got very, very excited about that. Uh, you know, there, there's one television reporter who's from Jersey and, and he, and she mentioned that and, and he got very, very excited, but he mentioned Jersey a bunch of times, like Frank Darby, you know, has the how you doing energy, like without a doubt, like he will bring all of the energy, like, man, that guy, like that guy needs to market his energy seriously. Oh, that sounds like we need to set up an interview uh, with this yeah. kid. <laughs> yeah, it'll just be you and Frank Darby saying how you, do how you doing each other. How you doing? <laughs> oh, I think he would do it, too, by the way, I mean, based <laughs> off of the way that like he's talked. He's been so far like this guy. Yeah, he is. uh he is a what I like to call a breath of fresh air, which is usually a player who is not going to just give you the typical, you know, answers and lines. And, and like he's going to really show his own personality, as we've all so often seen that the players don't do that. And, and Frank Darby, I don't think there's mm-hmm. any question that he's going to he's going to be him. And that's that's a great thing. I'm all for that. <laughs> it's funny no idea if he'll be good on the field but you know oh, that, that in the interview room he's bit. gonna be an a plus player <laughs> it's funny watching you guys on twitter i think you and tori simultaneously were tweeting about his energy like it and it's so funny because you guys could be sort of 
quiet about, you know, sort of pad answers. And then all of a sudden you're both lighting it up about, holy moly, Frank Darby is a lightning bolt. Like just. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I think the people uh, that have followed me on Twitter, hopefully more will um, realize like my what I'm tweeting about generally, like I'm not going to tweet the rote stuff. Like right. I'm not going to tweet the rote football answer. Uh, that's just not. I mean, if there's information there, I'm going to tweet it uh, like, you know, Avery Williams was a running back and a wide receiver in high school and actually started out the running back in the running back room in college. Like that's all pertinent. Like I don't I don't need to you know tweet some of the other stuff. But yeah, you know what? I mean, and these were my questions and, and D-Led gave gave some credit to that as well of like, I mean, I just started asking him about fencing because apparently he fenced in high school. Oh, wow. Like he was That's he was a cool. really high level fencer. Well, he says he wasn't high level, but like on the school's website, they said that he was him and his brother were the two best fencers at their school. Now, that could really be a, a, a very small group. It might be a group mm-hmm. of two or three. We don't know. But I mean, like. Yeah, he he seems like he's a, a super interesting guy as well. Like he said, his parents put him in every sport imaginable. And, and honestly, if you're getting put in fencing, like you're being put in every sport imaginable. Like I, I really want to know, like if there was like a Quidditch like club at his school, whether he played that. Uh, when I covered Notre Dame, I, and I'm going to ask him that at some point. Um, when when I covered Notre Dame, they actually had like Quidditch games and. No, oh my God, this might have been the most Notre Dame thing ever in that they would run scores of the Quidditch game on the like jumbotron <laughs> during the football. Like, it, I was like, you, you oh, my gosh. And I and this was like, I didn't even know. Like, I mean, I I'm not a big Harry Potter person and I didn't really know what Quidditch was like. I'm like, what? 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 Huh? Like, you know, uh, it, but that that. That happens. I, I really want to know all of the sports that he tried. Like, you know, water polo is big out in California. So I imagine that that's probably on the list. Like, I you know, I want to know, like, did they try it? Like, did they make him a go-kart racer at some point? Like, I, I want to know that extent <laughs> of Avery Williams, like list of sports tried. I, I just want to know that. Um, uh, I'm really curious. I, and I didn't, I didn't want to ask him that on a, on a zoom call, but I really want to <laughs> know that list of sports that Avery, that Avery Williams tried or that Avery Williams parents put him in. Oh, like, now I, I'm I, curious. I know. Yeah. Right. Like, it's, yeah. Like that's what I, like, I know we talked about it on the last podcast, uh, and we'll get to the schedule at some point, but I, I know we talked about it <laughs> on the last podcast. But, like, that's the stuff that I like to like find out and, and write about and tell is just like the like the the stuff that you're not thinking of like that was little the fencing thing was like a one-off line and i guess uh the local fox affiliate in atlanta again i'm not in atlanta yet so i didn't see this i guess they did something with avery um and fencing as well and like yeah but i'm like wait like i like that's the stuff i like fine i'm like wait you do what now huh all right like like, i want to know about that because that's super interesting because that makes you unique and different Wow. Yeah. We're starting off with rookie insights. Um, yeah. On the, sorry on the about podcast. that. No, that's awesome. Don't be sorry. That's great. <laughs> um, I wonder if that was Kelly Price or Justin on the Fox 5 affiliate. So we'll have to fi- find that. Um, but as an honorary member, as an honorary member of the Fox 5 sports team, I will track us down. <laughs> we need to get those <laughs> insights. Okay. So the schedule <laughs> uh, that did come out Wednesday evening. 
uh, with a lot of what we see every year. You know, the, the NFL plans to release it, I think, at 730. And basically, the schedule leaks throughout the day. <laughs> you start sure. getting morsels. I mean, that's the NFL uh, at this point. But uh, we now know the Falcons' 17-game schedule, three preseason games. So uh, one additional regular season game, one less preseason game. Um, so, Michael, I'll start with you first. Uh, what are some of your initial thoughts? I read your article uh, that came out immediately after the release. But what are some of your initial thoughts on the Falcons' schedule, some of the bumps in the road that you see for them, uh, some of the challenges they may face? Well, I'll be honest, David. What I see is they're going to win some games. <laughs> they're going to lose some games. <laughs> I don't know which ones they're going to win. I don't know which ones they're going to lose. We need they firm predictions. They <laughs> No ties, please. But, but that is <laughs> that I've covered ties before. It is a very confusing thing. Uh, that that is really what I think of the schedule. I, I'm I am not a big schedule release person. To me, the most important part about the schedule release is I book my hotels, and <laughs> I know when I am go. I know when I am. Well, this is in the before COVID times. Hopefully, we get back to traveling this year. Uh, but I know when I am going where and in cases of when I get to go to New York or get to go out to the West Coast where I have a lot of, you know, places where I know a lot of people. Like when I covered the Lions, the Chicago trip was always one where I have a bunch of, of people there. So it'd be like, I'd be like, hey, I'm coming in this weekend. And the other part that I would do is I would go to Polestar and I would look up to see if any cool live music was going to be in town when <laughs> I'm going to be in town. Like, so to me, that is what the schedule release really does, because we know the opponents. Mm -hmm. Like if we didn't know the opponents, like if all of a sudden they're like, we're going to hide this and you're not going to like that makes it a huge thing. But we know the opponents. Yeah. We just don't know the order um, to me. What stuck out the most, and this was, I think, the, the most interesting part of it, was when that London game was going to be, because that also told you more than likely when the buy was going to be. Right. And they have an early buy, and I saw some people make you know a big deal out of that. But they also have, and no one really talked about it, they have another, they have a mini, what I call a mini buy in November, because they play the Patriots on a Thursday night, and then you've right. got 10 days off. Or you've got 10 days until your next game. And having covered a team that had played a Thursday game every single year mm -hmm. and very and only one time in the eight years that I covered them, did they have back to back Thursdays like that mini buy helps because it, yeah. it mm -hmm. becomes like a rejuvenator. And that mini buy for them is right around that similar time. And I think that that will really help them as Middle well. So I think. Yeah. yeah so I, I, I think if they had, you know, say they played on a Thursday night in week two and then they were off in week six then i'd be like you know what that that's a really tough last two months of the season mm -hmm. but because they have that mini buy in there i think that that's that that's going to help them when they need it kind of to gear up for that last five weeks or so i wrote that i thought the last five weeks would make and break their season i saw some people be like well of course there's only 17 games so of course it's going to make or break their season but my point was if you look at that schedule three of the last five are on the road mm -hmm. and you have to go to buffalo which uh, i wrote it you know i mean 50 it might be a 50 degree difference in temperature i think i was being kind it might yeah, be chill. it might be up to 65 or 70 mm -hmm. degree difference plus the falcons play indoors the, the buffalo bills i promise you do not and <laughs> uh you know it, that so like that to me i think is where it's going to get really interesting 
uh, that they get Tampa Bay on the road early, I think is a good thing because mm-hmm. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, Tampa, as we all saw last year, really kind of rounded in uh, to shape late and got really good late in the season. So that's maybe an area where they can catch Tampa um, by surprise down in the on the road. And, and I'm not saying they're going to win that game, but not not by any stretch. Am I saying that they're going to win that game? But I I like that spot for them better than I would if it were like week 12. Right. Uh, like New Orleans, for example, to me, you maybe wanted to get New Orleans earlier in the year, mm-hmm. uh, at least one of the two times, because we don't know who their quarterback's going to be. And yeah. they may not entirely know who their quarterback's going to be, but one <laughs> would think by by week eight, nine, what is that play thing? Week eight is the week first nine. one. Yep, week, week nine, nine, they play in New Orleans. Uh, that, I, you would think that they're going to know whether it's Jameis, Taysom, or Ian Book at that point. Mm-hmm. Or, but that's the other thing too is if they're struggling, you might see Ian Book. Like, like that might that might be like an Ian Book debut, and then who knows what happens. So to me, like that's where I think it really it could get interesting as well. But I, I would have, if I were the Falcons, I would have much w- rather wanted to see like New Orleans early as well. Like if they had played New Orleans and Tampa say on the road early in the season, that might've been, both of them might've been better. Instead you get the NFC North or NFC NFC East early on, which again, good because we're talking about that Buffalo game grew up in New York. You don't want to play in the Northeast all that much late in December and January, because it could be 50 degrees or it could be negative five with a wind chill down to negative 20 like you, you just don't know what you're getting <laughs> so you you're, you're avoiding that giant situation there um and i think that's a that's good that you're playing there early in the season uh as well and i think it's good for them that they're going to san francisco later in the year especially with that london game being what it is because if you had to go say they were playing san francisco week three and then in london in week five like that 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 could really exhaust the team yeah and so I think that they got a little bit of a favor there by their road trips early on and their road trips after the bye, you know, because they really don't play at home in November are all close. It's Jacksonville. It's Miami. It's like, OK, like, you know, yeah. those are hour long flights. Like, you know, they'll be they'll be in bed oh, in bed. They'll be home before, you know, maybe by halftime of the four o'clock games when they play Jacksonville and they play Miami and that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, so while those are road games, I don't consider them true, true road games like a San Francisco or a trip anywhere, you know, in the Northeast or even a Dallas or certainly West coast. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, To your point about the weather, one of the things I looked at was those November and December games. Cause you know, as you mentioned, Falcons play indoors. People always talk about, Indoor teams struggling, especially in November, December, in the uh, the cold weather climates. And Buffalo is actually the only game in November, December, where they're going to a, a cold climate team. Uh, it, you know, the rest, like you mentioned, San Francisco, uh, temperatures normally, uh, you can deal with it in December. Um, and Carolina Panthers uh, in early December, you know, that's again, it's in the south. So it's, it's just a matter of whether you're hitting that cold wave or not. Uh, so that's one of the things that jumped out to me. Gina, what are your thoughts on what you saw from the schedule and anything that maybe uh, rustles your jimmies uh, as you look at the, uh, the details? 
So my Jimmies are a little bit rustled about the fact that they have no back-to-back home games and having to go on the mm. road. I mean, they're losing a home game, but I mean, really, because of the London game. And right. so they only have um, seven, I think. And yeah, effectively seven. With yeah. The eighth and, one is uh, in London, right? Okay, yeah. And so, you know, that's just rough. Um, I kind of do like the early buy, especially knowing that there is a mini buy coming after Thursday night football. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's, you know, I just think that for a new coaching staff, like having an early buy is a good chance to kind of regroup and see what's working, what's not, see what adjustments you need to make going down the stretch. And so I think that that's good. Um, I like that all of the division games aren't all stacked up at the end of the season like I felt like we had division games constantly at the end of the season last year and I'm like I don't want to play these teams I don't want (laughs) to lose these teams let's just get this over with so I kind of like that those are spread out a little bit more um and you know it's just too early to anticipate what this team's gonna do um you know like Michael said I think that they will win some games I think that they will lose some games I hope that they don't (laughs) tie any games but um yeah aside from the Bills game you know the um as far as like venues and everything the back half of the schedule looks pretty manageable um i'm just really excited to see this team on the field yeah what one of the things that jumped out to me michael is the falcons are going to face a lot of young quarterbacks this year And, and i think some of that is just simply because of the nature of the nfl but uh, it is partly their draw. You know, the Eagles, their first game, they're going to face Jalen Hurts, who is, uh-huh. I think we'll he has. We'll see about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that could be Joe Flacco. Don't. It could yeah. be. Absolutely. Uh, but he's he's a quarterback with less than a year of starting experience in the NFL right. at this point. Um, you know, you've got Washington, and God knows what they're going to trot out at quarterback uh, by the time they face them in week four. Uh, the Jets will have uh, a rookie quarterback. Uh, the Dolphins will have Tua, who is you know still relatively new. Uh, you mentioned New Orleans uh, in in Week Nine. They're sort of a wild card between Taysom and uh, Ian Book and uh, uh, Jameis Winston. Um, really, there's very in Jacksonville uh, with a rookie quarterback. Um, Carolina, you know, obviously uh, they got rid of Teddy Bridgewater, so they're going to be starting potentially Sam Darnold. There's a lot of uncertainty at quarterback throughout the Falcons' schedule, um, and yet it still feels like uh, with this team, with the unknowns, with the defense, uh, which I know you brought up in your article uh, when you talked about the schedule, um, this feels like a really tough-to-predict team right now for the Falcons. Obviously, new coaching staff, we don't know just how good Arthur Smith is going to be. We don't know what Dean Pease can do with this patchwork defense. Uh, and yet it does seem like if, if we had all of the variables in place, facing a lot of young quarterbacks could be favorable. But uh, what's your general feel about the way this schedule is playing out? Do you still feel like the Falcons are a team that's going to gravitate towards 500 uh, based on their talent, based on the games that they inexplicably lost last year? Um, <laughs> or do you feel like this is a team that could, uh, yeah, uh, I saw the, the grimace. <laughs> um, or do you feel like even, and I know your, your prediction was around the seven win uh, range. Uh, do you feel like they could potentially stretch that if, if they take advantage of some of these young quarterbacks that they're, they're going to face in their schedule? Sure, absolutely. Uh, and so back, we used to do game predictions, like game by game, mm-hmm. and, and we didn't do them this year. 
I, one, I for one, very thankful. Uh, <laughs> because no, what I would do, no, I, I mean, I said this every year. I would pick eight and eight or close to it every year. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I go seven and nine, sometimes I go nine and seven. I think one of the Matt Patricia years, I went 10 and six, and, and that was obviously a, a giant mistake. <laughs> but no, but I, I mean, you always, I always would stick at eight and eight because A, the reality is 50% of the league is between seven and nine and nine and seven. Mm-hmm. And you generally know the five teams that are going to be potentially really, really good. And you yeah. know the four or five teams that are going to be really, really bad. And everybody else kind of lives in that bubble between 10 and six and six and 10. And, you know, a break here, a break there, and you're 10 and six and in the playoffs or seven and nine and sitting at home. And depending on how many years you've been a head coach or general manager, maybe out of a job or maybe on a significantly warmer seat. Mm-hmm. And though we're talking about, you know, anywhere between five and, and eight plays that makes that difference. So, I, I stick with that eight and eight, or well, they can't be eight and eight now. I mean, they could I be eight, just... eight, they could be eight eight and one. They could be eight, eight and one. <laughs> they could oh, be eight, eight, eight. By eight, the way, I, I, I will, say... I will, I will. I don't know if there's like prop bet in Vegas, but I, I would love to see a prop bet of every team tying one game this year because that would just prove that they should not have gone to seventeen games. If like, <laughs> every, like because it would just be that would be that would be the most amazing thing ever. I kind of hope yes. this happens. It, it won't happen. If it does happen, it's more proof simulation. But, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're just playing like we're just playing. We're, we're just all in a Madden simulation. Like I'm in a Madden league. And like, I think one team had like four ties. When, I'm like, well, how is that possible? But uh, no, I in reality, I think that they are still trending toward a 500 team. I think that defense is still concerning. And moreover, I think the depth of the defense is very concerning Mm -hmm. where you lose a linebacker, you lose one of your top three linebackers, you're in trouble, you're, 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 I mean, listen, I think Brandon Copeland's a fine player, Mm -hmm. but you know, you, you're, you're relying on Brandon, Brandon Copeland to be an inside linebacker, the Brandon Copeland that I've covered in the past. I know they've moved to different places in uh, New England and in with the Jets, but the Brandon Copeland that that I saw was at his best as an outside backer and a defensive end. It seems like they're going to kind of use him more as an inside outside backer in Atlanta. But like, you know, you're like, he's kind of just like your do it all type guy. You don't necessarily want to rely on him, but in one, you're really one injury away from, from really having to do that. You're what you're, you're one in two injuries away from the based on the roster construction right now, having to rely on a safety playing linebacker or maybe a UDFA or right. You know, and that's at one position at the interior of the defensive line. You know, obviously, you know, Grady is probably I would argue Grady's the most important defensive player, if not the second most important defensive player behind either, you know, Dion or or Foyer. But Mm -hmm. like you lose him like you're you're in trouble in that middle of that defensive line. You lose Dante Fowler on the edge. Well, you've got a whole bunch of question marks at that point. Like Mm -hmm. there's just not that depth. I mean, a corner. Who knows? You know, we, we don't know. Like, does AJ Terrell take that that step? So defensively, to me, there are still just so many questions. If anything, somehow, and, and I don't think anyone would have said this a month and a half ago, right? Somehow safety is their deepest position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and they had no safeties right. to start a free agency. <laughs> like, like, you know what? Their their top two, top three safeties all left. 
and they had no safeties. And now you've got two veterans in Eric Harris and Deron Harmon, and you've got Richie Grant. You've got Darren Hall who can play corner or safety. Avery Williams can theoretically play corner or safety. So all of a sudden, they, the what the uh, Jr. was Jr. Pace, Jr. Price, the kid from Northwestern, like. Mm-hmm. He he's a he's a guy that if you're watching at UDFAs, he's a guy that I think has a shot. And yeah, so all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're like, wow, safety got actually pretty deep there mm-hmm. if you need it. But their defense just to me is still so thin at so many spots that that's where I think you end up getting in trouble. If their top line defenders stay healthy all year, that's when I think you can maybe stretch it because the offense is gonna be what it's gonna be, barring, you know. Matt Ryan gets hurt, like they're in trouble. But you can say that about what twenty eight teams in the league, pretty much. More, yeah. You know, more more or less. I mean, they you know we we've seen what happens when injuries happen at receiver, and and they're able to still be very functional. I think at tight end, you're in a similar situation right now where you've got definitely three tight ends that you can count on. Well, we'll see what happens with Lee Smith, but three tight ends that you can count on in Pitts, Hurst, and and Lee Smith, and then. You know, maybe they even keep a fourth tight end. We'll, we'll see. Uh, and then running back, who who knows what that's going to look like? I, I really no, and I don't mean that in a bad way because I think mm-hmm. that you could see one of the two undrafted guys, whether it's uh, you know Caleb Huntley or Huntley or Jalen Jalen Hawkins, uh, emerge, and maybe they end up being that complement to Mike Davis. Maybe it's you know Quadri Olson. They like there. I think there's just so many options there, and I think that we've seen across the league over many years like a year ago at this point who would have been talking about james robinson right right like in jackson mm-hmm. nobody like you know there, there's just not philip i don't Lindsay, know Lindsay, a couple years ago right philip Lindsay, a couple years before that um you know and you, the list can go on and on i mean even if you're talking about like not to go back to the lions but more on a small rotational level like zach zenner back in like 2015 2016 like he ended mm-hmm. up playing a very large role for them at some point he was an undrafted guy so as well so like that's the thing you can always find arian foster was an undrafted guy yeah, like yep. you can mm-hmm. running backs you can you can find them at different spots theoretic was a sixth round pick again for the <laughs> line you know i go but i keep going but Devonte freeman was a what he was a day three pick yeah. like yeah you you can find running backs at different spots so i'm not really worried or i wouldn't I, you know I, I wouldn't be worried if i were a falcons fan about their running back situation right now because a Arthur Smith knows how to use running backs and B I think that they have a pretty good feel for like what they might have in the room because I don't mm-hmm. think they would have released Ito Smith if they didn't have a feel that they had something there to be a good compliment to Mike Davis and yeah. you know and, and that's the thing too is you could always add somebody late because running back you know you always add somebody trade for someone during training camp you can always sign a back uh you know down the road if you need to because unfortunately running back is a position where you can generally find a guy that can be very good for you on the free agent market yep uh you know at varying points during the season and we've seen that with so many teams at so many times where all of a sudden a guy is just you know chilling and hanging out at home and then two weeks <laughs> later he's gaining 100 yards <laughs> oh, I guess so no, but that's just the rea- that's the reality of the NFL yeah. and that position because if the if the blo- there are so many talented running backs that if the blocking is there and the play action is there that run if you're if you're a running back that's even just going to get the yards that are given to you you're going to get four yards carry yeah and you know that's 
there are a lot there's probably a high i mean i'm not downplaying the how good running backs are in the nfl but there were probably like these are some that are truly special you know the dalvin mm-hmm. cooks of the world the saquon barclays of the world but there are probably 100 guys out there that can get you that yeah and, and that's i think part of why that position is such oddly is so oddly valued yeah yeah and didn't mean to go into a like a dissertation on running backs but (laughs) (laughs) but i I mean it is a position that a lot of falcons fans have questions about Mm -hmm. because they didn't really get you know a big name guy or you know make any kind of big moves there um you know i like mike davis i'm real happy with with that addition but yeah i mean i think that it is something fans have questions about so yeah. I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you did well, <laughs> share I, dissertation. But, yeah, but uh, but I think too that people have to have realistic expectations mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. Mike Davis because it's not like Mike Davis has been a thousand yard guy a couple years and just you know then ended up in kind of a timeshare. Like he's yeah. never been that. He's always been a guy who's been in that timeshare. Now mm-hmm. maybe he stands out as a lead back and and you can get him to be a, a 11, 1200 yard back as, as a lead back. I, I generally go on my eyes and go on stats. And mm-hmm. to me, we haven't seen that. So to me, yeah. I think he's a guy that, you know, is a 150 carry or you know, 175 carry, 600 to 800 yard back. Mm-hmm. And you need somebody else to balance that. And yeah. I think that that's one of the things we don't know what they have yet. And that player might not be on the roster yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. good point. Yeah. I mean, that, like I, I'm going to while, while we're talking here, I'm actually going to go and quickly look at, at running backs that are out there. Now, again, we know the Falcons currently have, you know, <laughs> about as much cap space as I do as somebody who doesn't have an NFL team. <laughs> but like, you know, they just like they're going to make a move, whether that ends up being trading Julio or, or making move to get money for, you know, to sign the rookies and then also to be able to operate during the year. And part right. of that operation during the year is going to be um, possibly signing somebody, whether that because you're going to need it for injuries and you're going to need it for, you know, um, guys who basically, you know, it, it just didn't work out or all of a sudden, oh, wow, you need somebody at that position. Now mm-hmm. that could happen in trades too. Obviously they could trade for sure. a running back. You know, I mean, there's a couple different teams that you look at right now philly is one of them actually that like, you're like oh you know like boston scott could be on his way out you know i mean the based off of the way that 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 room is structured right um mm-hmm. because they just they just added carry on johnson a guy that i thought maybe the falcons would claim and that would have been a really good pairing with mike davis yeah um well you know if carry on johnson's out there well maybe they take a shot on carry on johnson and carry on johnson can be a really good number two back again if he stays healthy that's the problem with carry on johnson mm-hmm. um so you know looking at um, i just pulled it up todd girl is still out there but i i, I just don't see that reunion happening more than likely right i mean <laughs> no <laughs> it, it would be no. very surprising right i mean tj yeldon mm-hmm. is out there Dion lewis Le'Veon Bell's out there. Um, oh, wow. You know, you know I, I, again, I, unless Spotrack can be wrong here. I'm going based off of Spotrack to make sure we give them the proper credit. But like those are some names out there like Corey Clement, who who would be a really mm-hmm. interesting back. Bryce, you know, I mean, like there there are some potential. Uh, I mean, the, you know, the ageless ones of Adrian Peterson and Frank <laughs> Gore and, and LaShawn McCoy. You know, Chris Thompson could be a really interesting compliment to Mike Davis. Um He's out there right now too, you know, Rex Burkhead's like there are Duke Johnson. Like there are players that like, I mean, they're not like super enticing names, right? But they're guys that if you're running them in a share, like that's what you're looking for. You're not looking for 
Like, so like in a share, a lot of those guys to me would, would potentially make sense if you, if you're looking for a vet and there could be a guy we're not even talking about or thinking about right now that ends up being that guy or that players on the roster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the undrafted guys Uh, and to your point earlier NFL history is littered with running backs, especially in the last 10 years. It seems like we've seen so many guys come into the league in the past 10 years that were completely undrafted at the running back position and yep. deliver at a decent and sometimes, you know, fringe pro bowl, pro bowl level. Um, and it, I think a lot of that comes down to the talent surrounding them as well, whether you've got a good quarterback, a good offensive coordinator. Uh, and I think the Falcons right now are banking on the idea that Arthur Smith is going to run a competent offense and that he can mm-hmm. run, uh, you know, that wide zone running scheme, find the right fit, uh, get the right offensive lineman in place and create productivity in the same way. You know, Kyle Shanahan, people forget with Alfred Morris, who was, you know, drafted as I think a six round uh, player as well. When he was back in Washington, he had like a 1600 yard season uh, in his Mm -hmm. rookie season uh, simply because he was the right fit for that particular offense. So um, today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Gina, one thing, and I think this feeds into the conversation about the Falcons, because right now, uh, as, as Michael was intimating before, the question marks for the Falcons are on the defense, like across yeah. the board. If you were to say, what is the, the position you're most concerned about? 95% of our fans are going to talk about one of the defensive positions. It's going to be corner. It's going to be uh, defensive end, you know, pass rusher. It's going to be defensive tackle. Um, most people feel comfortable with where the offense is at. You know, Arthur Smith, Matt Ryan, a quarterback, you've got Calvin Ridley, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and to that point, this feels like to me, looking at the schedule, this feels like to me a season where uh, that defense is truly like they are the, they're the needle. They're what's going to uh, take this team, you know, as Michael said, from a six and, or I guess six and 11. Right. So, right. Six and 11, yeah. six and 11, 11 and six or 10 and six and one. God, yeah. talking about ties. <laughs> that makes me cringe. Like, hey, about ties. we're talking into reality here, right here on the podcast. <laughs> oh, I just I feel like an itch on the back of my neck anytime I think about a tie. Uh, but it, it in I your mind, you, that week one tie, I, which oh. I covered a couple of years ago when the Lions played the Cardinals, that that week yes. one tie, you're just That's like, oh. All right, like that's what this is now. <laughs> <laughs> Screws all the math up. Well, I, I mean, and not to talk about that game all that much because these are the you know the listeners of this podcast won't care. But that was a tie that felt like a win for Arizona and a loss for Detroit because they blew. <laughs> yeah. And, and to in in fashion that Falcons fans can definitely understand, they blew a lead late and it cost you know it's. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. Anyway, sorry, didn't mean to once again derail <laughs> the conversation. Oh, so Gina, on those lines, um, are you concerned? Because uh, let me say this. I like Dean Pease. I think he was a fantastic hire. Uh, yeah. He may be 138 
but he has a ton of experience. However, I think the NFL has shown that you can be the greatest coach in the world. You still have to have talent to work with. And to Michael's point, there are so many question marks on this defense. Yeah. Um, do you feel like the defense is the differentiator in this schedule for whether this team is below or above 500? You know, I feel like this is an evergreen sentiment for the Falcons because the defense <laughs> has been the question mark for a number of years. Um, but yeah, and I would say specifically the thing that I'm most concerned about is the pass rush. Another thing that is an evergreen concern for the Falcons. Um, you know, Dante Fowler had not the best year last year. I think that, um, you know, I'm hoping that this year he's much more effective, but you know, who knows? Um, I think that with, you know, the questions that they have at cornerback that can also Mm -hmm. complicate things for the pass rush, because if they're not able to, you know, maintain coverage long enough to give the pass rush time to get home, then, you know, that's a whole other aspect of it. So, yeah, I mean, I would say that there are a ton of questions with this defense, both from skill level from that perspective, but also, and I think most importantly, from a depth perspective, I'm really glad that they shored up the safety position. And that's like the strongest defensive position now, because we know from the past few years, how brutal it is when you lose both starting safeties um, to season ending injuries. And so, you know, everywhere else on the defense, I think that they're at real risk if starters get injured. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm not very worried about the offense aside from the offensive line. Um, again, another evergreen concern for the Falcons. <laughs> but um, yeah, the defense, I've got a lot of concerns and I don't really anticipate that changing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, Dean Pease is a great coach, but he is not uh, a miracle worker. He's not going to turn mm-hmm. water into wine here. Um, <laughs> and and you know, maybe, uh, and Michael, you can speak to this a little bit better. You talked about the safeties. They did sign some good veterans. You know, Deron Harmon, mm-hmm. I think, is an underrated. Uh, free agent signing for the Falcons. He's a guy that can uh, play 16 games, 17 games, uh, and and be a a good starter for the team. You know, uh, someone that uh, on a one year rental, if you will, is going to help shore up the secondary. Um, but it, again, this it feels like a shootout season, and I know it's way too early to say that. You know, we're we're, we're mm-hmm. talking about the NFL season in May. <laughs> like that, yeah. so many predictions fall apart in uh, the first few games of the season. Um, but do you think this this hinges primarily on the defense? And do you think you know we're also making a lot of assumptions about Arthur Smith coming in and instantly fixing the offense? And you know, Falcons fans may or may not remember 2015 was a rough ride when Kyle Shanahan came into town. Yes, uh, very. It took, it took a year before Matt Ryan and the, the team truly adapted to the new offense. So, um, in, in your mind, is that sort of that uh, the 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 tug of the lack of talent on defense, and maybe the over assumption that Arthur Smith is going to come in and, and just immediately work a miracle? You feel like that's where it, like this make it makes the, the Falcons almost unpredictable in where they land in the middle of the schedule. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's part of it. And it, you're right in the fact that there will be some unknowns to the offense. However, to me, and, and to me, that largest unknown is the Arthur Smith offense that we have seen in his two years as a coordinator has been very hard, very largely run heavy mm-hmm. with some play action mixed in. And you look at the personnel that they have. And if you do that, that just seems like a recipe for, for just honestly having me ask you questions every week. Why are you doing this? Um, <laughs> that, 
Well, because, because you just look at the options and the weapons that they have right now on offense. It's, you know, everything you have is, is predicated toward being a very up-tempo passing offense. Right. Yep. And so if you kind of go the other way, but I, the way Arthur Smith has talked in, in every interaction I've had with him so far through press conferences, it seems like he is going to tailor fit the offense to what they have. And, and I would imagine he, he seems like a very innovative offensive coordinator, or you know, head coach who's also running the offense that that to me, I think is going to, you know, lend itself to being like, he knows what he's going to, he, he didn't take, he knew the piece is coming. In. It's not like he came in offensively and was like, oh, you know, I, I just don't know what I'm going to have to work. Like he knew coming in exactly what the pieces were on offense. So he clearly would have had a plan mm-hmm. for that. I think the defense is still the major question mark. Um, I think the offense will be fine. Yes. Could see some bumps early, uh, especially because it's clearly not going to be a full spring. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think that there'll be some, some, some maybe concerns there, but you look at a team like Cleveland last year where a lot of the pieces were there on offense and even on defense. And there were a lot, I remember I did some show, did some podcasts last year and uh, my, the podcast I had at the time I talked about, well, you know, if you're a first year head coach, like, oh, I don't know how it's going to go for you because of how much time you're missing. And you look at the, what the Browns did and the Browns really seem to kind of handle things fairly seamlessly. Mm-hmm. So if Arthur Smith can do that, then I think that you're you're in a good spot offensively, and and I really, I I I wouldn't be too concerned about the offense. I think the talent is that now I might you know live to regret saying this, but I think the talent <laughs> is there on the offensive line as well. I think it's just a matter of making sure that you have the right blocking scheme for it because right. they have invested first round picks on the offensive line. They have invested again in this draft on the offensive line with two mid round picks. And generally you can find really good offensive linemen in the third round and the fourth round. And they might've found their starting center in Drew Dahlman right. in the fourth round. So to me, it once again goes to the defense. It's an area that, you know, they did not invest a lot in their front seven during the draft. And I'm not, I'm still not, you're, you're banking to me a lot on Dante Fowler having get, being able to, to more unlock what he did with the Rams, which I think is absolutely possible. Mm-hmm. And apparently Barcavius Mingo doing Barcavius Mingo, Mingo things, things. <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, and, and I think maybe so, some Falcons fans might've seen like kind of my, I don't want to say snarkiness, but my like, reporting style where i'm just like all right yeah what <laughs> now what what all right explain this to me like what are more because i'm just like i'm not letting that one go <laughs> because i i don't know you know I, and that's partially on me because i haven't seen enough of barkevious mingo to playing but like when you say barkevious mingo's doing barkevious mingo things i you look at his career and it's like well he's you know and he even admitted in during his opening press conference of I've been a lot of different places, a lot of, you know, I've been on new teams every year. So like, what are those Barcavius Mingo things? Now, right. if you can get Barcavius Mingo to get you to six, can somehow get to six sacks, which would be against the grain of what he's done in his career as a pass rusher, then you might have something like that, you know, so maybe there is something there that you can unlock with Barcavius mm-hmm. Mingo because the talent is clearly there and the speed is there, and I think the instincts are there. It just hasn't really all come together on a, a consistent basis with him. So, I mean, I think that there is some potential there 
for sure. Um, but I, you know, you just wonder, well, where is that pass rush going to come from? And if the pass, as as we've all seen in the past, but we'll see how much they play zone versus man. If you're not getting the pass rush, you're really hurting your corners. And you know, who knows what corners are going to be out there starting other than AJ Terrell, and, and that's again something to be uh, to be watchful of. But again, I, it would not shock me if they add again a veteran, mm-hmm. you know, on a cheap contract once they kind of balance out their salary cap situation a little bit, whether that's again, trading Julio or or restructuring somebody, or maybe giving a couple of extensions out to kind of create some cap to, to maybe add some people or, or not, or maybe you find that some of your undrafted free agents happen to be really, really good and you can roll with them. And we've seen that Mm -hmm. across the league every year. And, and you see that on so many teams too, right? Where all of a sudden, um, you know, like there's, a guy that you're just like, hey, this happens. By the way, the uh, as we're doing this, the Falcons signed two players. Yeah, uh, they, signed, they signed tight end Parker Hess and offensive lineman Sam Jones. There you um, go. Okay. You know, Sam Jones uh, has played in five games uh, with <laughs> with the Broncos as a rookie in 2018, and uh, spent time with the Cardinals and Colts. I'm just reading this from the press release because I don't know much about <laughs> Sam Jones um, as an offensive lineman, and then uh, Parker Hess, who's a tight end. Uh, he was on the Titans practice squad the last two years. So one would actually think if that's the case with Parker Hess, you have to think that Arthur Smith probably has a really good idea of a plan for him. And mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to say this right now. And I, again, may regret saying this because maybe he gets <laughs> cut in like a week, but this could be a guy to watch here that could end up maybe pushing <clears throat> for a third or fourth tight end spot on the roster, because clearly this is a player that Arthur Smith is very, very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And to me, you know, you kind of, you know, watch all of that. And apparently, if I'm reading this right, um, yeah, he is fairly new at the playing the tight end thing. He was a defensive end before that. So oh. he might be a guy. He's I'm going to say it right now. He might be a guy to pay attention to during training camp, provided he makes it to training camp that could be a guy that could end up surprising because he's clearly a position switch guy that that Arthur Smith had as a project at some point. Yep. Um, since he moved, since he was on the practice squad for the last couple of years, even though, you know, Arthur Smith was the offensive coordinator. He clearly, you know, paid a lot of attention to tight ends because that was his room for so long. Yep. Right. Yeah, right before, right before he was the offensive coordinator, he yeah. was the tight ends coach. So um, yeah, interesting, very interesting point. All right. So uh, to wrap up, uh, we, we've talked about the schedule. We've talked about some of the, the shortcomings, whatnot, but um, Michael, in your article, you had a bold prediction, and uh, <laughs> and it, it, to be fair, I want to say because uh, I, I watch all of the writers that cover the Falcons, <clears throat> you were sort of hammering the idea that Kyle Pitts could be the guy at number four for a while. Uh, you had your excellent article with I think it was Matt Harmon who broke down the kind of special talent that he could be. Um, and I think even in one of your last uh, articles before the draft, you mentioned Kyle Pitts was your choice of who you thought the Falcons were going to draft. And of course, that's how it worked out. Uh, and your bold prediction uh, in your rate, your most recent article was that he is a rare prospect. You think he's going to hit 800 yards, nine touchdowns, making him a strong contender for rookie of the year, which is literally the last, uh, forgive the plagiarism I'm stealing from you. Uh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but 
Uh, do you want to elaborate on that just a little more? Because sure. I feel like you've been hammering on the Kyle Pitts uh, with the Falcons aspect for a while. And I'd like to wrap up on that aspect because he could end up being a key factor in the win loss record for this team. As we look at this schedule, you know, we, we talk about the def- the defense, but honestly, if he can deliver on offense, he could be a, a difference maker for this team. Right. And that's why they took him. I mean, that's, that was their plan right away. And, I'm going to preface all this and, you know, I really only had what 60 to hundred words. So I couldn't really go in deep on this. Like tight end is such a hard position to transition to mm-hmm. from college to the NFL. I think what makes him a little bit different is how he can be lined up in so many different ways. And also at worst, he's going to be the number two option. <laughs> and that's, and I, I say that in the, you know, if they trade Julio Jones, Kyle Pitts becomes option number two behind Calvin Ridley. Yeah. Now, if they have Julio Jones, then it becomes then it becomes option number three, and I think maybe my prediction is a little bit a little bit high. Um, all of that said, I just think the skill set is there, and I think the like they're not going to necessarily worry because they do have Hayden Hurst and they do have Lee Smith slash Parker Hess slash insert tight end three <laughs> that they do have guys that they can put in line. And and you don't necessarily have to worry about that. So if the blocking isn't quite coming along, you can line him up in the slot and he can be, you know, you can use him a bunch of different ways, kind of what they did at Florida early on in his career where, you know, Kyle Pitts played the X mm-hmm. in his freshman year. So we've seen team, we've seen that happen with him before. And I'm not saying they're going to convert him to a wide receiver. Not, not close. He's a tight end. But I think that he can produce those types of numbers. Now, will he win rookie of the year? Honestly, probably not, because based on the amount of quarterbacks that we think might get some time and time early, uh, including especially in the NFC, like Justin Fields, yeah. for instance, Trevor uh, Lawrence, obviously. Well, yeah, I mean, but he's yeah. in the AFC, you know, but like you know, <clears throat> if you look at NFC rookie of the year, like to me, right, right. you know, you could, uh, it could be he's got a really good shot at that. If Justin Fields does not play right. this year, then I think he has a really good shot because there's no indication, I think, right now that Trey Lance is going to be playing right away yeah um so to me yeah if a quarterback doesn't win it i think he's got a really good shot now sure there are going to be some receivers out there devonta smith is going to have but if he's able to produce 800 800 yards i'm just you know 750 800 like that's historic levels for a rookie tight end that to me i think that that will not go unnoticed and that would put him i mean really in the top 10 tight ends right away and I say all of this with a big caveat of <laughs> if he struggles, do not like jump on him right away because right. I've seen what happens when that happens. Because again, and I hate to harp on the place I used to be, uh, but they they drafted tight ends twice in the top 10 <laughs> in my eight years covering them in Eric Ebron and TJ Hawkinson. And Haw- Hawkinson had an amazing first game and then quieted it down and then got hurt and, and lost, you know, the last really quarter or so of his rookie year. Ebron was always a kind of productive player. He was what he was. He shouldn't have been drafted where he was because they passed on Aaron Donald and Taylor Lewan and, and all these other really good players. But the thing with tight ends is rookie production can be hit or miss. Yeah. So there is that with Kyle Pitt. So as long as you go in understanding that, Hey, like, 500 yards and five touchdowns would also not be a bad rookie year for him. 
Like, you know, if he if he comes out with 300 yards and three touchdowns and played 16 games, then there's definitely reason to question, hey, Arthur Smith, like, what are you guys, what are you all doing with with Kyle Pitts here? Right. But like to me, you 500. So I, I'm going on the higher end with Kyle Pitts just because I think they're going to really have a good plan on how to use him. And I think that teams are going to very early. I think you could see a lot of production from him early and then it kind of taper. Because I think teams are going to be, if Julio is on the team, teams are going to be so focused on Julio and on Calvin Ridley on the outside Mm -hmm. that Kyle Pitts is going to maybe really do a lot of work really early in the season. Then teams are going to have to adjust. Now, if they trade Julio, that's where it gets a little bit more interesting because I think at that point he'll get more attention, but he'll also get, you know, what, who, you know, all of a sudden you got 100 targets, give or take, that you have to, you know, spread out. Well, you know, Kyle Pitts is probably going to get 50 to 60 of those. Right. And, you know, and, and that's kind of, I think where, where it could get interesting as well. So I think either way, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for Kyle Pitts, whether it's he's the third option and a really talented third option that Matt Ryan's going to be comfortable with, or he's a second option is going to get a lot more work than maybe people are thinking right now. And that's going to all depend on what happens with Julio. Yeah. Um, Gina to wrap us up. Uh, it, it, you know, as well as I do, uh, amongst the writers, uh, we have argued about who that number four pick should be before the draft. Yeah, It ended up being Pitts. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing was, after we picked Pitts, it seemed like every single one of us was like, oh, he's going to be a monster. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> We argued ahead of time. Like half of the writers were divided. Oh, it should be Justin Fields. It should be Trey Lance, et cetera. But the minute they picked Pitts, it's like, oh, my God, he's going to be so much fun. Yes, um, absolutely. So just to wrap up this podcast, I know we talked about the schedule, but it's hard not to talk about Kyle Pitts because he's the first round pick. He is a you yeah. know, very special player, at least from what we can see. Uh, do you feel like he's going to be one of the, the the key difference makers for this team in 2021? You know, I, I think that what's great is that um, at least as the roster stands now, he doesn't have to be. Yeah. So there's no pressure. Um, you know, like, like Michael said, their teams have to devote so much energy to trying to contain Julio, which is nearly impossible. I mean, I've seen the Panthers throw a cornerback, a safety and a linebacker at him and he'll still make a play like it's nuts. (laughs) Um, and St. Ridley is also, he runs, you know, really clean routes and he is not easy to cover either. Um, he's got incredible speed. So with those guys on the team, there's no pressure for Pitts to be the guy. And Mm -hmm. I think that he has the talent to actually really contribute. But I really like the fact that a rookie is coming into a situation where he's not expected to be, you know, look like a Hall of Famer in year one. Mm-hmm. That may actually make it easier for him. Yeah. Uh, it, you and both, you and Michael have both have talked about the fact that uh, he's probably going to see a lot of good looks if, if Julio is mm-hmm. still on the team. And if you've got Julio, Calvin, and Kyle Pitts on the field at the same time, which I have to imagine is as long as they keep Julio, which is a wild card at this point, but assuming they do, that has got to be a tough, tough assignment for defensive coordinator where you're looking yes. at an all time, like a hall of fame receiver. Let's call Julio what he is. He's, he's a hall of fame caliber receiver. Uh, Calvin Ridley, who is a top 10 potentially receiver uh, in the NFL, uh, excellent route runner uh, in his own right, had a breakout season in 2020. And then Kyle Pitts, who ultimately could be a generational talent. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Who are you going to double? <laughs> um, you better hope your your defensive uh, 
defensive secondary has a ton of depth to it. Um, all right. So, well, by the way, you also, I mean, not to jump in here. I mean, I, th- I think Russ, no, I think Russell Gay, I think people forget about Russell Gay. Like, he, he gets he left can out play. entirely. Yeah. He can play. I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, Frank, not much should be expected from Frank Darby this year. He has to make the team first, but he right. has explosive downfield speed as well and can be like, um, Mar- Marvin Hall was here for a bit. Yep. Like, you know, he could be a Marvin Hall where it's like one catch for 30 yards a game, you know, like that type <laughs> of that. Type. Ever, a, lot of, a lot of good offenses have that guy, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think that there's more than just those three, too. And that's where yeah. it can get really interesting, like a, a four wide look or, you know, a one, three, one look where all of a sudden you have Gage on the field and Pitts on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's where it gets really, really tricky. And if you have add Corderell Patterson potentially in the backfield in that situation, yeah, like that's what like I if you're a defensive coordinator, I'm not exactly sure how where you go to cover because somebody's <laughs> going to be open because no, because you have two because yeah. two of those guys at least can win. It can potentially win in double teams and we'll see what happens with Pitts. So it could be mm-hmm. three of those guys. And if that happens like, well, you know, good luck. So <laughs> like that's yeah. That, that, sorry. I just want to add that as we're kind of wrapping up and talking about that here. Yeah, no, I, that's. And I think that's we look at the schedule, and you know, we, we're it, it, there's only so much you can say about the teams you're going to face. Um, but when you look at the team the, the, with the Falcons, you have to talk about the offense. That is where the excitement's at. They spent the top pick on a tight end who they're expecting is going to deliver like a wide receiver. So uh, when you're talking about the Eagles, when you're talking about matching up against uh, the Saints and the Bucks, you're, you're not talking about purely the Dean P's factor here. You're talking about whether you can score 40 points on someone else and uh, run up the score. And I think that is part of the hope, you know, for Falcons fans. And to be blunt, uh, after two years of Dirk Cutter, I think Atlanta fans are ready to see an offense that is wants to curb stomp people. And that yes. feels like what they're trying to build here. We'll see if it happens. These guys have to deliver. Um, and, and ultimately, that is always the story when we talk about the schedule. It is so <laughs> – I don't want to say it's pointless. As football fans, we get into the uh, the emotion of doing predictions in May, which are always completely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that, that's part of why – it's part of why we do this. It, it's an emotional investment. Um, so to wrap us up, Michael uh, – you told us the last time we got together, you're a voracious reader. Um, in fact, I think Gina, last time we got together, invited you to a book club. So yes. what are you reading now? What is your recommendation to our listeners as far as books go? So I actually just finished a book called, I finished it last week called uh, Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. It's written by Robin Sloan. Uh, it came out a few years ago. I It's one, to me, I really like the pacing of it. It's one of the better books I feel like I've read in the last year and a half or so. Uh, I couldn't put it down. I put it this way. I sat down last Saturday and I, as you know, I think we talked about at the top, like I'm in the midst of a move here in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you don't always have a, a lot of time to read and I couldn't put the book down. And I finished the last 150 pages on a Saturday afternoon. Wow. So it's a really good book. I, I highly recommend it. It's to me the best, like I said, the best book I've read probably in the last year, year and a half to the point where I actually picked up uh, his next book or his other book, 
uh, called Sourdough. I've not cracked that open yet because I'm reading a different book right now, uh, which the title is very morbid. Uh, It's actually also on the other side of my uh, apartment right now. So I can't like, uh, I'm going to Google the the title. Yeah. Okay. There we go. I found it. Uh, It's called They Both Die at the End. So like, you know, super, super um, up, happy, uplifting story here so far. It sounds fitting for Falcons fans. Uh, uh, yeah, it's I mean, it's it's kind of a YA deal. Like I'm I, I really enjoy like what John Green brings. This isn't a John Green book, but I enjoy John Green brings to the table. So as an author and kind of some of how his character development is and his pacing and stories. So uh, sometimes I get intrigued by these kind of thriller stories that have good pacing. And I wanted a book that I knew I could get through in a week so I could get through sourdough before I leave Michigan. Um, So that, that would be my recommendation though, is uh, Mr. Penumbra's 24 hour bookstore by Robin Sloan. Uh, Highly recommend it. If you do read it, hit me up on Twitter or on Instagram and uh, let me know what you thought of it. Uh, And Gina, if it ends up being part of your book club, I've already read it. So I can (laughs) automatically come in and be part of that conversation. Uh, Actually, I think I'm going to make that we're going to get things started in June and I'm going to make that the first book. So you'll be set to go. That way you don't have to try to read something new as you're finishing up moving. Oh, done and done. Look at that. (laughs) (laughs) I try to be all purpose here and serve many roles. (laughs) You're doing it well. You're doing it well. Um, (laughs) So uh, as we wrap up, Michael, uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Uh, It is always a joy to talk to you. I know you've got the move and I know you've got a lot going on. So uh, again, thanks for carving out uh, a little bit of time you could. Uh, Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, what you have going on? Yeah, sure. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, uh, at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And of course, check out my stuff over at ESPN.com, which is my employer. So that I think is everywhere at the moment that I am currently available excellent um gina remind our listeners where they can find you what you have going on you can find me on twitter at gina thomas j-e-a-n-n-a thomas and what do i have going on uh it's the real off season so not too much and i'm actually enjoying it a great deal (laughs) but um actually my job is changing a little bit and it's going to free up more time for me to actually cover the team. So once I am finally rested from the draft, you will see my stuff at thecalcoholic.com. Excellent. And hopefully, cross your fingers, we'll be able to be at training camp this year. Yes. So we get into July and August. That'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for you guys, you can find, follow me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Updates for this podcast at FalcoholicPod. And of course, our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Mike Rothstein and Gina Kelly, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time.